Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Morgan Gist McDonald, who is the founder and CEO of Paper Raven Books, an independent publishing company that helps people write, edit, and publish books that grow the author's platform and create massive impact in the world. And Morgan also wrote her own book, Start Writing Your Book Today, a step-by-step plan to write your nonfiction book from first draft to finished manuscript. And this episode with Morgan was one I was very excited about for many reasons, but I've always wanted to write a book. I've always been fascinated with how this process works. And in this episode, we go through not only how Morgan launched and grew her business, found employees, grew this company of hers, but also how to write a book. How do you go through the process of writing a book? How do you get it published? How do you get it out in the world? And how do you promote it and market it? So you can actually get more people to consume your book and then ultimately different ways you can monetize this whole process and benefits you can get from launching and having your own book out there in the world. So many of the details we talk about in this episode, I threw a lot of questions at Morgan in a really short amount of time and she she did a great job with everything and I really think you'll benefit a lot from this episode if you've ever wanted to either write a book or also even if you just wanted to launch a company and figure out how that works you'll find it beneficial in this episode. The show notes with all the links and things we've talked about are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting platforms. And finally, The Weekly Grind, my newsletter that comes out every single Friday with tips, tools, and strategies for launching and growing a business. Just a few things sent to you every Friday. You can sign up for that at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Again, justgogrind.com slash newsletter to get that. And without further ado, here is Morgan from Paper Raven Books. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. I was just telling you before recording that I am a new listener and I love your podcast. So thank you. I'm going back through all the archives and listening to everything. So I'm, I'm, I'm a fangirl right now. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I appreciate that. And I've done a lot of interviews now and it's been so much fun. And I was excited to have you on because of your experience in books and publishing. It's something that a lot of entrepreneurs think about, myself included. And I hope to dive deeper into all of that. So in terms of starting though, I want to know, Paper Raven Books, where did that get its start? How did that start? It's been an evolution, right? So we've only been Paper Raven Books since about 2015, uh, but I have been sort of in business since 2007. I started as a freelance editor, just sort of editing based on referrals, things like that, and then had enough work that I got a team of editors under me. But again, we were just editing, so we were actually called Paper Raven Editing, and (laughs) we just edited book manuscripts pretty much. Um, And then we got enough of our authors who were coming back to us and saying, hey, thanks for this awesome Word document (laughs) that is so well edited, um, but I haven't had any luck, you know, with traditional publishers. I don't really want to figure out self-publishing. Can you guys help me? And I talked, you know, to the team, kind of did a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of conversation with myself about what's my real vision here. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do Paper Raven Books. So we officially sort of, you know, just changed the name, changed all that legal document. And we went full force with, all right, we're not just editing Word documents. We're now into the book business, cover design, interior design, actual publishing, things like that. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been an iteration, but uh, this has <sighs> been real fun. That's amazing. And there's so many details I definitely want to dive deeper into, like I mentioned, but where does this interest for you in, in books and publishing and everything come from? That's a great question. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I feel like I have always been interested in words. It's come out in different ways, uh, you know, high school, newspaper editor. Um, and then I did my majors in English and sociology. I was actually a PhD student in sociology for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Got my master's wow. and then realized I am way too entrepreneurial for academia. But I had this skill set of, of being able to help people with their words, with editing. And, and um, really, I was quasi writing coaching at the time, kind of helping people get their ideas more clear, even in their master's thesis or their dissertation or their academic monograph or whatever it was. Um, I just kept following that trail and, you know, I kept finding people to help with their words and and I've just been evolving my skill set. But the base skill set was really words. And then I've uh, slowly had to become more of an entrepreneur. And honestly, now these days, more of a CEO. 
Yeah, as their company has grown, I imagine. And even the, in the beginning, then, in the beginning stages of having this be an actual company where you're going to do everything related to this, not just you know reading manuscripts or whatnot, you're doing everything. Yeah. What are some of those first things you do to get the company up and running and decide what this company even is? Yeah, well, it it was helpful that we already had a few clients and now we weren't we weren't huge right so we had maybe three or four clients who we had edited their books and they they were like okay well can you help me publish this right and so we did have a handful of clients to to start with i did have a few team members who were already helping me with the editing and they knew people who could do cover design or interior design or things like that um, and at first everyone was project based so it was like i would talk with one author and they would say okay yes let's do this book together and then i would go to the team and say okay we have one project folks i'm going to pay you this for editing and this for cover design and this for interior design and we just just kind of rolled from project to project. It was is very um, kind of <laughs> just almost like playing pickup sticks. It was like you know, okay, all right, we've got one. Let's all get together. Let's do this. And then there would be you know sometimes a lull where we didn't have you know necessarily one project rolling into the other. And that that was really the beginning of of the company. And it was up to me to go out and do the sales and the marketing and, and find the clients and bring them in. Yeah. And obviously like in between then, so having that lull in between projects, how did you handle, I guess people were hired based on projects. So once the project is over, it's over, but then in the middle, how do you keep in touch with people or how does that work then in between projects? Yeah, this is really the, um, the importance of, of having a vision and sharing that vision. And so I would try to keep one-on-one -on -one contact with every single person who I knew I wanted to sort of keep on the team. And in between projects, we might have a quick phone call or a Zoom call or even, you know, some of our people are based in Venezuela, so they can't always do calls, but email at least and just, you know, be really grateful. Thank you so much for helping on this project. The author was so grateful. They really appreciated this, that, and the other about what you did for them. I'm so grateful and I can't wait to have you on the next project. Here's where I think we're going, you know, and they, they were excited, you know, as contractors, I'm anyone who's ever been a contractor and many of us have in our careers, you want those clients who will keep coming back to you. And so, you know, for someone who's editing or designing, I was their client basically, right? Because yeah. I would come back to them and say, you know, thank you so much. You were a great help on this project. And there's that emotional connection. And so they were always willing to, to fit me in. And now we've gotten to the point where we have 15 or uh, 15 to 18, depending on how you count, uh, contractors who are involved on a regular basis, some of them every month, some of them every few months, uh, but they always prioritize our projects because it's, I think it's gratitude, it's sharing the vision and it's staying in touch. Yeah. And getting those contractors in the first place and build, build, building a team is so important in any company. Getting these contractors, what are you looking for? How do you find them? How does that process go? Yeah, uh, I had a lot of luck. <laughs> some bad luck, <laughs> right? So you try someone you out, some and luck, if, it's, if it's, exactly if it's not working, you do have to sort of uh, discontinue that relationship fairly quickly. But um, honestly, Upwork dot com. I think when I first started, it had a different name. I can't remember yep. what uh, Odesk or something. Um, but now Evans and Odesk, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, so now they've joined into Upwork dot com, and you know, I'll just go through. I'll have a specific job that I want to bring someone in to help with, and I'll make a super detailed job post and I will include here's exactly the tasks that I want you to be able to do. Here's, you know, our company culture. Here's, you know, we want you to be flexible and, you know, willing to try things out on your own and, and willing to, you know, take some risks and, and you'll be independent and, you know, kind of describe those characteristics we're looking for. And then I'll get on the phone. I'll talk with five, eight, 10 people. And then honestly, this may not be the best practice. I go with my gut. I'm just like, you know what? I think we would really enjoy working with so-and-so. Sometimes it's two people. I'll bring in two people. And, um, you know, if we work really well together, then we'll bring them on for, for the next project. If we didn't work great together, then it, it was fine. It was a one-off one project. And so, you know, let them go on their merry way. And then I, I go back <laughs> over to, to Upwork. But it's, it's just, yeah, slowly picking them up one by one. Yeah. And I, I like the details. So I, I got to ask about this. With the, those phone calls, how do you structure those? What are you trying to like get out of there? What are some of those questions maybe? Because I think it'd be helpful for people who are hiring because there's so many different ways to hire, but who are going through that process. What are some of those questions you're maybe asking them? 
Yeah, I want to ask them, um, of course, about their previous experience, but I always want to ask them about where they are headed, where they want to go. Um, so yes, we have this very specific job that I'm hiring you to do, but what are your, you know, some of your skill sets, some of the things that you're really interested in and curio- curious about? Where are some of the areas you want to grow? Because I always want their growth trajectory to be at least somewhat in line with my growth trajectory so that we can, you know, kind of grow together. And if they are the sort of person who says, you know, I'm really, I just, I want to do proofreading forever. And I just don't really see myself ever wanting to do anything else. Or, you know, I kind of want to go back into corporate or it sort of seems like they're, they're not really interested in a growth trajectory in, in the publishing field, then it might not be a great fit. But if they see themselves as continuing to, to grow, to learn, to try new things in sort of a trajectory of books and, you know, particularly self-publishing, internet-based publishing, online publishing, uh, then I think that we would, we would be a good fit because I want to support people in that, that kind of growth. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned earlier, too, with having these people on board to handle different aspects of the company and you were focusing on like the sales marketing side of it. Like what, yeah, what are some of your roles, responsibilities? I'm sure that's kind of changed over time, but how are you spending your time now in the company? Yeah. And that changes uh, quarter to quarter, really, uh, as, <laughs> as we're growing. But, um, you know, the, the first level was I had to replace myself as an editor. So I was a freelance editor. In order for me to grow the company, I had to bring on a few editors who could take my place entirely. Uh, so that was kind of level one. And then uh, the next level that I brought on was people to help with uh, the tech backend. So like posting WordPress, posting on social media, uh, sending out broadcast emails, that level of stuff. Um, and then as we, uh, I, that enabled me to step more into sales and marketing and bring in more and more projects, which meant that we needed you know, a project manager. That was kind of the next level projects manager to help see projects from beginning to end and to keep track of all of the projects that were going on simultaneously. I mean, now we're doing 20 or 30 books a year, right? So they are yeah. constantly rolling. So we needed one project manager. And then we realized we needed a project manager above that <laughs> to help make sure <laughs> that we were building out systems and we document everything in checklists and video tutorials. And we have a wiki that is basically kind of like our our living, breathing manual online. And, and so like those have been sort of the major roles. Um, of course, bookkeeping, gosh, uh, bookkeeping is one of those oh, things yeah. that we, that I hired out very, very early on. Um, and so bookkeeping, financial strategy, things like that, someone to, to help with that. And one of the most recent things that we have done as a team is I've created a, um, a sales team. And so I have someone who is going to be helping with the actual sales calls and someone who's going to be helping to build out those funnels, right? So we have assets, we have an email list, we have social media sites, we have, you know, freebies and nurture sequences and things like that. We have webinars, we have all those different assets, but we don't have an actual funnel uh, to take people from where they first meet us all the way through to a sales conversation predictably. So that's something that we're building out now is, is that sales team. And what that's going to enable me to do is to think of the, of the higher level um, marketing, uh, the vision for the company, and, and honestly, to get um, into like more live events, do more speaking, be more of like a visible brand, um, kind of that high level networking. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And with the sales side of things, I mean, up until this point, that's something you're going to do more of and kind of organize all of that as well, you said. But so far, you, you had some additional, some some clients to start with already when you started the company. Then how have you grown? What are some of like the things that have been most helpful to help you grow from that beginning stage to where you, you're gotten to now? Yeah, yeah. Referrals. Consistently, um, referrals are slow growth, but they last, <laughs> right? So. Yeah. Even some of the folks that I worked with back in 2007, 8, 9, um, some of those folks are still recommending people to me, even though my business has changed dramatically, just because that relationship was so good um, back in the day. And the authors who we publish, we have an affiliate relationship with them. If they send us an author, we send them thank you money. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and they love it, and we love it, and the new authors love it. And, and so that's a slower growth, um, but, but it's something worth investing in because it's going to stay 
stay with you over time. Um, one of the, but you can't just, I, well, I don't want to just wait on referrals. I'm a little yeah, bit it's passive. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, so one of the marketing things we've really been experimenting with a lot is um, cold traffic Facebook ads. And that's tough to crack. And we've been trying some different things like, you know, lead magnets and blueprints and webinars and quizzes and um, books. Selling my book has, has been uh, really important. So how do you get cold traffic to, uh, to get to know you, to go through a, a freebie or a blueprint or a book or a, a webinar, and then come out the other side and, and want to be one of your customers. So that's something we've been working pretty hard at uh, for the last year or so. Yeah, and with that, I used to run Facebook ads actually for an e-commerce company uh, a year or two ago. And there's so many things you can do with that. You mentioned a bunch of different things you're trying. How, how are you approaching testing that? Are you trying a couple of things at once and seeing which converts better? You're just I, there's a lot of ways you go about this. I'm curious as how you're approaching that side of things. Well, you're hitting on one of the main problems in our business, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> I, for whatever reason, I'm insatiably curious about things like internet marketing, and I just want to get in there and I want to do the Facebook ads myself. So <laughs> I will admit <laughs> that I have probably been our biggest bottleneck in figuring this out, but um, I love it. Like I'm in there in the ads manager and for the first six months, I had no clue what I was doing, <laughs> but you know, just you know, figuring out different different creatives, different images, different videos, different copy, and and just seeing you know what 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 our audience respond well to. Who is our audience, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> is our audience men or women or both? Are they in their thirties? Are they in their fifties? Um, so that's been a lot of just throwing spaghetti at the wall, to be really honest, and and that's just me figuring out ads manager, but. That's how I tend to, how I've tended to operate in the business is I get in there and I figure out how to do something. And then I hire someone and I kind of know halfway what I'm doing so that we can have a conversation, a partnership and how to do this better. And then that person who I've hired goes and creates the systems for how we're going to do it going forward. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, it's been me and Ads Manager throwing spaghetti around. Yes. And I definitely want to like highlight slash underline slash circle everything you just said, because I think it's really important to to test things out yourself to have enough of an understanding to be able to outsource it. Because mm -hmm. if you don't do that, you're never going to be able to really know what you're actually looking for in that. And so one example too, like uh, I'm starting another company to do podcast production for other their podcasts. And yeah. if I hadn't had a podcast myself to understand how this actually goes, there's no way I could be hiring out or outsourcing different aspects of that without knowing how to do it myself. So I think it's really important that you mentioned that, that you did kind of play around with the Facebook ads and everything else that you can then use that to then outsource to then hire people to, to do that and kind of replicate and put systems in place. But first, you kind of played around with it a little bit first, which I think is really important. Yeah, thanks. Well, and I shouldn't say that I'm I'm doing it blindly. I am getting coaching, yeah. right? So I'm actually receiving, I'm in courses, I'm in masterminds, I'm in coaching. And so I have experts that I can go to and say, okay, hey, here's my, you know, return on ad spend report. Uh, here's all right. my different columns. Like, what do you see? And I kind of get that that higher level feedback so that when I go and, and yeah, exactly, find a team member who can help me with this going forward, I can have <laughs> an, a conversation with them about you know, like, do we have initiate checkout pixel firing on this page? Like, I don't actually know, know what that right, means. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. No, that makes perfect sense. And one of the things you mentioned, too, with having these different contractors and people in the business, I'm always wondering, my first thought goes to then, how are you organizing them? You mentioned some of those things with list and other a wiki, but how do you organize kind of the information and, and all the people in the company then? Yeah. So client facing, everything happens in a project management software called Basecamp. Uh, there are lots of project management tools. Okay. We particularly like Basecamp because it allows the author to be in the project with us and has really nice discussion threads. And so it feels kind of like email to them or a forum, uh, but it helps them to stay really plugged into, into the status of the project. So that's great. And file sharing and calendars and all that jazz. Um, and then we also have kind of a behind the scenes uh, team communication through Slack. That's what we have different channels for different parts of the business, but that's where we can get more of that instant feedback. Um, and then um, we also do pretty regular team calls on Zoom. And so we will, uh, you know, we have our team agendas that are that direct each of our monthly calls, and those are stored in like Google Drive, so people can always refer back to them. And 
on each meeting, we're sort of talking through like issues that different people are having, uh, what actions people will be taking this next month to help solve those issues. And everything gets stored in Google Drive um, and is shared across the team. And then anything that's like a system that we might train someone on, it's, yeah, the, the checklist will exist in Google Drive and the video training will exist in Google Drive, but the interface where someone would like look at it as if it were a manual um, is actually a wiki. So just one of those free, okay. free wikis. So those things are all kind of interconnected. Basecamp and Google Drive and wiki all work pretty well together. And then we just use kind of that, that Slack and Zoom for the ongoing communication. Awesome. And with all these different pieces, all these different parts, what what are the biggest challenges of of you know running the company, of growing the company with all the different things you have going on, client facing, all these contractors? Like what have been the biggest challenges for you so far? Um the first challenge I think is always deciding what your system looks like so that you can create the system. <laughs> you know, do you do something <laughs> in a repeatable enough way that you could actually create a checklist out of it? For a lot of us entrepreneurs, we are just in the thick of experimenting and we rarely slow down long enough to actually make a repeatable system. So I feel like that's kind of the very first challenge. Um, so we're, we're getting to that point and I have team members who are very systems oriented. So they help me think through that. Like our, our primary project manager helps me think through that on a pretty regular basis. And so then, yeah, okay, great. You get the system in place. You have your checklist, you have your training videos, and then you're, you hire someone to do that role. Well, who's going to, you know, be there to answer their questions and give them feedback on whether they're doing it right. Like I will raise my hand. Hi, I am not that person. <laughs> like I don't do well with, with, uh, you know, training people and answering really, you know, specific nitty gritty questions and, um, following up to make sure that they did it right. Like I'm just, I, on the Colby test, I'm a super high quick start <laughs> and I don't have a lot of follow through. And so my project manager is sort of my right hand there. And that's really her strength is, is helping people to follow through, make sure they actually did the checklist. And if you don't have someone on your team who's high on follow through, then that's going to be a consistent challenge. And then um, my current challenge, I'm kind of like walking through phases, hope this kind of makes sense, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, my current challenge is communicating the vision so that everyone on the team sees how they are participating or contributing to the vision. So I'm pretty decent at like, okay, here's the big vision. Like for instance, one of our big, you know, next milestones is we're going to publish 39 books in one year, right? So that's kind of like one of our big visions. Um, but like people <laughs> on the team, like, you know, if they're doing, if, if we have a team member who's doing like marketing and she's focused on Facebook and Pinterest, you know, does she see how her efforts contribute to us, you know, publishing 39 books in a year? And so that's my current, you know, I've got to, I've got to be able to come from the big picture and sort of bring it back down to each individual person person and say, here's how, you know, Facebook and Pinterest are, are going to contribute to to us making this vision together. So that's, that's what I'm currently working through. Yeah. And with that, you mentioned the vision. That's something I want to talk about too. How do you go about crafting that and, you know, creating something of substance for that? Like you said, thirty-nine books. I mean, did you think think of that over a weekend? Did you look at your numbers? From the, is it always a number, a matter of the previous year and evaluating that and seeing what the next year looks like? How do you go about crafting that vision for the company? Yeah, so I do. I do prioritize um, time for my own learning, time for my own journaling and reflection. Um, I've always done that. It's just been a part of who I am. Um, even when I was getting a PhD or whatever, I think that's how I figured out that a PhD was not for me. With <laughs> um, having that that reflection time, I think is is really important for us as business owners. Um, and so, spending time journaling, you know, really thinking about like, what am I creating? That's a question I always come back to. That I ask. I'll I'll write it out in my journal. You know, what am I creating? What's this vision that I'm creating for myself, for my life, for my family, for uh, for our company? And I just you know, spin out all the ideas. Um, I, I learn a lot. I listen to a ton of podcasts, including, you know, just go grind and, and all sorts of like entrepreneurs talking about yes. their businesses, right? This is where we get our fuel and our inspiration. Um, and, and audiobooks, and I go to events and I get coaching and I see what's possible, right? See what's possible out there, see what others have done, and then also expand, allow that to expand. Well, what might be possible? And so um, I do prioritize time in that, that big visioning. 
And then I do have to be a little bit more intentional with myself about saying, okay, Morgan, this sounds great. You know, we're going to be the next big (laughs) publishing company. We're revolutionizing the publishing industry. That's awesome. What does this actually mean for your team in the next few years? And so I do have to um, kind of remind myself, like, let's bring this back down to the practical world. And I'll, you know, sit down, especially with one of my high follow through team members and say, okay, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think this means? And that instant feedback process, you know, through a Zoom conversation or something and just talking through ideas is really, really helpful for me. And I mean, like the way we landed on 39 books, for instance, it was like, okay, I want us to publish as many books as possible in a year. And my follow through project manager is like, okay, well, let's talk about how many weeks are in a year. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> <That's a good laughs> like, okay, well, do we really want to publish a book every single week like Christmas? No, that sounds terrible. Okay. <laughs> so then we start taking out the weeks that, you know, for Christmas and New Year's and Easter and Memorial Day and Fourth of July and, you know, just like what would be fun for our team to actually do together. And then it's like 39. Wow. Okay. That sounds great. Let's let's do that. <laughs> yes. It's funny you mentioned that because that is something whenever I've done like master planning or you're trying to think of, you know, the big vision and everything, you do kind of forget those those holidays and things that come up where you're like, wait a minute, I'm trying to do this every week. So, oh, yeah, it should be 52. And they're like, wait a minute, if I'm going to have Christmas off and all these different things, you need to factor that in. That's kind of an important thing that people miss, I think, at least myself personally. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think it was... Gosh, one of the, I mean, I've listened to so many audiobooks, it's tough to exactly remember. It may have been one of the Stephen Covey books. So they really talk about um, one of the first things you should do. Michael Hyatt does this too. Uh, one of the first things you should do with productivity, pull out your, your year ahead or maybe even 18 months ahead. And, and you plug in your days off, your vacations, and your conferences and events that you're going to be traveling for. And you just got to you know, block time before, during, and after for all of those. And so, yeah, that, that takes out a good like third of your year right there. Yeah, and that's one of those things too. I don't know if you've seen the, the video. It's pretty old where it's like putting your big rocks in first yep. and then everything else goes around that, the sand and everything else. You start with that and then you kind of build around that, which makes it easier to plan and kind of um, do it that way versus trying to put everything you can into it, but then it fills up with meaningless things or things that aren't as important. Yeah. And you forget about the self-care or the trips or other things that are kind of need to, need to be uh, thought of as well in your life. And that's something that's trapped to fall into. But you mentioned, you mentioned publishing and how you want to revolutionize publishing. I want to talk about that next. And how has this publishing industry kind of evolved over time from your eyes? Oh, gosh, it has changed so dramatically. Uh, I, let me start with the caveat that I have not spent a lot of my career in traditional publishing. So like in college, I interned with an academic press in Boulder, Colorado. So, you know, that was that, that was I don't even want to know 15 <laughs> years ago or more or something like that, you know? And so it's been a while and it was a short stint, right? Um, yeah. So what I know now about traditional publishing is from my own, you know, colleagues or friends who have traditionally published. I know people who work in traditionally published publishing houses. Some of them are even like fairly big, you know, high up in the publishing houses, directors of marketing, things like that. You know, you listen to podcasts, you, you meet people who were in the industry. So that's, it's kind of like that, that general industry industry knowledge. Um, so I just want to kind of have that caveat out there. Um, yeah. Different people's experiences are, are, you know, might be different. But um, generally speaking, uh, traditional publishing is when the author has an idea for a book, uh, particularly nonfiction. If you were writing fiction, you need the whole book written. But if you're nonfiction, you have the idea for the book, you write it in a proposal, you and an agent pitch it to the publishing house. If the publishing house likes it, they will pay for the book. They might even give you an advance and you go away and you write the book. And then the publishing house typically um, owns the legal rights of that content and most and gets most of the profits. Most of the profits go to the publishing house, the printer, and the bookstore that sell the book. And so what you've just done is you're a content creator. You've just sold your content to the publishing house and they make a product, right? They make a book and then the publishing house goes and sells the book and they give you... 10% of, of the retail price of that book, just, you know, as a thank you for writing the content. <laughs> but the publishing house <laughs> owns the book. That's their product. And so a publishing house is a company that has anywhere from, you know, 30 to 500 different products. And they are using 
the bookstores to to sell their products. Well, what's changed is people aren't really going to bookstores anymore, not the way they used to. Um, they are searching for books. So if you can imagine how we used to go into bookstores and browse, go to a general you know like topic that we like and kind of flip through the spines, read the back of the cover and like maybe pick up a book, maybe not, right? It was very sort of browsing. Um, now we go to Amazon and Google and we type in things that we are searching for and we buy directly from a website. Uh, and that has changed dramatically because it took a long time for traditional publishers <laughs> to get on board with that. And so they were losing money. The bookstores were losing money. Several big chains went out of business. The publishers were losing money because they weren't selling as many books while self-publishing was making a huge advance uh, or a huge, it was growing hugely because they were using Amazon to sell books, right? And so now we're, everyone's finally like, oh, right, we should sell books on Amazon. <laughs> of course. In fact, 70% of all books are sold on Amazon. So if you add up eBooks, paperbacks, hardbacks, audiobooks, 70% of all books are sold on Amazon. So that has been a massive game changer. Um, and so, yeah, people, people wow. are realizing that why would I sell my content content to a publishing house that would then create their own product, sell it through a bookstore and I get 10% of the retail price. Like this makes no sense. And I no longer own the legal rights. So now what we're seeing is people who are like starting, they're a little bit more, you know, solution aware. I thinking, well, I can just self publish it myself. I have all the content, the legal rights. I keep, you know, the profits that Amazon doesn't take from selling it in the Amazon store, and I keep more of the money. So now what we're seeing is a totally new problem, which is a ton of authors are asking, well, how do I self-publish and how do I sell my book once it is self-published? And so Paper Raven Books really um, emerged for those authors because they were directly asking us. They were saying, look, I don't want to do traditional publishing. I want to do self-publishing uh, do help me do this, help me self-publish and help me sell more of my books. And so that's really where our team kind of stepped in and said, okay, this is a problem in the marketplace. Let's, let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, obviously it's a problem. And a lot of people are self-publishing and different people I follow, whether it be entrepreneurs uh, or whoever is they're going the self-publishing route. So what are some of those benefits then of self-publishing and why are people, I mean, you said some of these things already, but I want to dig deeper into why, why self-publishing and kind of what the differences are. Uh, for me personally, I think one of the main benefits is that you keep the legal rights to your content. So if you were to publish with a traditional publisher, you're going to have to read that contract really closely like, and, and ask really specific questions like, can I create an online course with the same name as my book and the same content? Chances are no, <laughs> you can't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, for us in the online marketing world, we're like, well, hell no. Like, <laughs> oh, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so the, the legal rights is really important. And then um, of secondary importance, I think, is the profits. And mostly that's because it's really unclear who is responsible for marketing this book. Um, used to, when you published with a traditional publisher, they handled a lot of the, you know, quote unquote marketing because they just gave it to a bookstore and the bookstore handled all the marketing, right? Yeah. Bookstores where people bought books. <laughs> but if people aren't going to a bookstore, then who is driving the traffic like who is handling the marketing and it's like very up in the air depends a lot on your publisher depends on your publicist within your publisher and that's very unclear whereas i think a benefit of self-publishing is it's super clear i as the author it's you. <laughs> is responsible for selling yes. books with good and bad right so um you get to keep more of the money but it also means you got to learn a whole new skill set about how to how to sell a product right how to sell a book yeah, and we we're gonna go into how to go through that process too. And one more, a couple more things just on publishing itself. Then, if someone is looking for a publisher, I mean, what should they be asking of this publisher? What should they be looking for in a publisher before they go with one? If I'm gonna be really honest, a publisher is gonna find you. Like if they want, if they want your book more than likely, either they're going to find you or an agent is going to find you because these days, like they're looking for lists of. 50,000 or more. Uh, in fact, I just heard Reed Tracy on a, on a podcast interview. He's the uh, president and CEO of Hay House, which is uh, one of the big 
not one of the top five. I think they're a top 20 publisher. I mean, he said on this podcast, they're looking for authors with a list of 100,000 or more. Uh, so it's like, yeah. So you can imagine, like, once you get that big, like, you're probably not really worried about pursuing a publisher. They're probably going <laughs> to come ask you or you'll find them through connections or something like that. Um, but like I would say if, if I were ever in a conversation with a publishing house, uh, I would definitely be asking about, um, you know, if I create a course or an online membership or workshop with this content, is that mine? Um, if I want to sell the book in a different language, who owns, you know, that book in in another language, and um, if I create an audiobook, who owns that? Is that going to be me or is that going to be you? So those are those are a couple of the questions I would really have for the publisher. And then also, uh, what does our marketing plan look like? What are you going to do and what am I going to do? So that we can just be really clear on that ahead of time. Yeah. And w- working with a publisher then, I mean, obviously, it's, if it's self-publishing, it's going to be on you for promoting the book for everything. But even someone who doesn't have a list of 100,000 100, people, I should say, you said, I mean, are they going to pursue a publisher? If they want to publish a book then? Like, how does that even go? You could. Um, more you could. than likely, you would You would have an agent. Uh, and by the time you kind of get into those networking circles, you're probably going to know someone who's published a book, and they'll give you a connection to their agent who will get you in with a publishing house. It's all very relational <laughs> once you kind of get into those, <laughs> those top 20 publishers. it's It really is um, who has a relationship with who, and can you have a phone conversation with someone? I mean, gosh, it is just... It's pretty difficult to just submit a proposal these days and, and get, not that I want to ever be, you know, I'm, I'm an internal optimist, so it does happen. Um, but there, the, the primary ways I see publishing deals happen is one, what we've been talking about, you know, someone who knows someone and y'all have a phone conversation and you get a deal. Um, or two, you have self-published successfully uh, and your, your book has done well, it has reviews, it's ranked well, it's selling well, and a publishing house might reach out to you. They are, they are absolutely watching the Amazon bookstore to see which self-published books are doing well. And you know, if yours is doing really well, they might reach out to you and say, hey, we noticed that your first book was, was great. You want to do a second one with us? Interesting. And of course, this is all predicated on having a book. So right. <laughs> writing a book, <laughs> let's go through that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> what is the process? Like, can you break down the process of, of actually writing a book? Like, what are some of the higher level steps of writing a book and getting it out there? Yeah, absolutely. So there are, there are a couple different ways. Um, a lot of folks who talk about writing a book um, will tend to talk about outlines and mind maps. Um, for people who are... Uh, or I don't, I don't know, organically or associatively creative, it can be very difficult to start with a mind map or an outline. So the process that I teach to our authors is that we actually list out everything that they want to include in the book, which can be a fairly overwhelming process. It's kind of like a brain dump, uh, but it feels really good <laughs> to write, you know, <laughs> or 10 or 12 pages of like, what do I really want to include in this book? And th- once you see it on paper, you can start to see the themes that emerge. And so then you can imagine like if this is done in a Google doc or something, you can literally you know, highlight different sections or sentences and cut and paste and start to put them into groups. Once you start to see different groups emerge, uh, different chapters will then begin to emerge. So I kind of do it in reverse rather than starting with the top, the outline or the mind map, I actually start with the content itself, what you want to include in the book, even if it's 10 or 12 pages of content and then going back and reordering that so that it then begins to resemble something like an outline. And then we go back and say, okay, here's what we're writing now let's let's start writing that first draft. That's kind of like the if I were to give the broad strokes. Yeah, and that's very that's actually really really helpful because even with with me writing blog posts and such, I do have a process kind of like that where it is an outline of sorts, but it's like what's going to actually be in the blog post, and then yeah. kind of formulate it from that from that, and then yeah, okay, what section of the blog post? Same type of thing. It's just a smaller scale, I guess. So it is helpful to, helpful to have that and. And with that, though, is there, I mean, certain timelines that come with this? Like, how does that process kind of go? Yeah, it's going to depend a little bit on the book. Um, If I were to give just very general guidelines, I would say it should take no longer than six months to, uh, to write your first draft. 
and you could get through editing and publication in an additional six months. So 12 months is a very reasonable time frame. Um, but you know, there's going to be a little bit of wiggle room on either end. Uh, for instance, my book, which I published in 2015, is a pretty short little guide. I think it's 25,000 words on how to write a book. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you go to Amazon and you type in how to write a book, you will see it. <laughs> It'll and be the, your and first the name book. of it, the name of it, by the way, is? Start writing your book today. Perfect. Yeah. So, um, so that was, it was shorter, right. And I already had a bunch of experience. I was already coaching clients on how to write their books. And so it came out of me pretty fast. I think I had that one. I started writing in April and it was published in June. Right. Um, so, but that, that you can do that if it's a 25 to 30,000 kind of word book and it's a little bit more how to, and with a few stories kind of mixed in, but it's pretty straightforward. Whereas if I'm working with a client who is writing like a memoir with, you know, uh, it's a lot of their story and then some of their lessons learned. Uh, it's just it's just a longer process. Their book might be 50, 60, 70,000 words, and it might take them, you know, six, seven, eight months to actually do the writing. And then you get a lot more sort of emotional stuff in there. There's sometimes some painful memories, things like that, that are just a little, little bit longer to, to work through. Um, but yeah, so that that's why I kind of give the general guidelines of like six months to write, six months to edit and publish. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful for sure. And then, and throughout that, getting feedback from a book during the process or after, how does that go with the feedback side of things for writing a book? Yeah. So there's different ways. Some people find that they can write the book on their own. Um, we even have sort of do-it-yourself courses where it teaches my method and you kind of like go off and, and, and write on your own. Um, some people like working with a coach. That's what I did for a lot of my career. In fact, I'm just now sort of like wrapping up my coaching phase of my career uh, because it's just, as you can imagine, it's just a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> for me to still be doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, so I've brought in, you know, writing coaches to work with me. They've learned my, my methods. They have their own experience. And so there are, there are folks who work with our writing coaches over a six month period and they submit writing to a writing coach every single week, you know? So, and they have regular phone conversations. They're talking about the big vision of the book and they're talking about what we're writing this week and what we're writing next week. And so you can, you can have a relationship with a writing coach where you get that weekly feedback from someone for sure. Or if you want to, you know, spit out that whole first draft on your own and then you get an editor to help you clean it up after you've written the first draft, that that is totally fine too. Yeah. And with obviously a new author going through this process, they might hire a writing coach that might write the first draft and go through that. I mean, what are some of the mistakes that these new authors are making? Because you've done coaching, you said, one-on-one, -on -one, you still have done some of it. What are some of the mistakes or even the or challenges that these first-time authors are going through? Yeah. Um, one massive mistake is wanting to know exactly what your book looks like before you start writing. Um, and so you spend a lot of time thinking or researching uh, before you'll start writing. But honestly, like, you know, clarity comes through action. Clarity comes through writing. So most people will, the, the intention or the, the structure of their book will actually change as they write. I would say 90 plus percent of the time the book changes as they're writing. And so you won't you won't be able to write your book until you start writing. So that's, that's kind of one of the things why I called my book Start Writing Your Book Today because that is uh, one of my main sort of ethos things is like, yes, just start writing. Um, another major mistake is that people will focus a lot on what they're writing and less on who they're writing for. And in order for a book to be successful, you must have a target reader in mind. You must have a person or at least type of person with a specific sort of problem or, you know, uh, something that that person's looking for, particularly in the nonfiction realm, uh, in order for that book to be successful. Because who are you going to sell the book to when it's done? <laughs> you can imagine yep. <laughs> you write this whole book and then you're like, okay, now it's time to sell it. Well, where do I find this person? If you never had a who in mind, uh, then it's going to be very difficult to identify any podcasts or Facebook groups or live events where those people might be hanging out. Um, and then this is sort of the, the last sort of add-on that I see a lot is um, a mistake is that you're writing for too big of an audience, right? So yes, your book might be helpful to anyone and everyone, but in order for you to start a fire, you've got to have a spark. So you've got to write for a smaller audience first. You've got to have a smaller audience in mind first. And then, yeah, your book might catch fire and it might appeal to a bigger audience, but you're never going to get that bigger audience unless you first appeal to a smaller niche audience.
Yeah, and that makes it a much easier. Obviously, it could make it easier to write the book because you know who you're writing it to. But also on the promotion side, like you mentioned, and with the promotion and kind of marketing of a book, what goes into, I guess I would say, the successful marketing or promotion of a book? And I'm sure that can mean a lot of different things, but what goes into that side of things? Yeah, yeah. So we have um, some basics that every single one of our books that we ever publish um, always has a few things in it. Um, one is uh, relevant keywords and categories that get loaded into what's called the metadata, right? The online search algorithms will always rely on your your uh, preloaded keywords and categories to help find the book. So we use tools like um, KDP Publisher by um David Chesson is, is a great tool for identifying keywords and categories uh, that just helps your book to be found on platforms like Amazon. Um, we also, with every book, we run a five-day free promotion of the ebook. And so we have a launch team that is standing by and ready to download that ebook the day it goes live and leave a review. And that does a couple things right at once. Um, it, it makes that, that reviewer a verified purchaser of that ebook. And then when they leave the review, that review is tagged with verified purchase. Um, yep. It kicks off the downloads. So Amazon immediately sees a nice spike of downloads. It's like, oh, let's pay attention. Let's refresh you know, our, the metadata for this book <laughs> on a more regular basis. Let's show it in some of those thumbnails. Um, you know, Books that are recommended, other people might like this book. Um, so Amazon will show it more. And then the third thing we do is we drive traffic. So as a company for all of our books, we, we partner with um, some promotional websites like Books Butterfly is a great one. Um, and they exist. They have a huge list, like millions of people. I think Books Butterfly has 5 million people who just want to know when an ebook is free. And so they'll, they'll put you in their, their daily mailing, their daily um, social media posts, and that drives a bunch of cold traffic. And Paper Raven Books, we're a pretty big platform by now. We've got 30,000 email subscribers, 8,000 Facebook page likes, right? So um, we also use our traffic to let people know that this ebook is free. So what we've just done is we had those keywords and categories. We had um, the ebook promotion and a bunch of people, hopefully 20 people or so, leaving reviews uh, on the first day the ebook is free. And then we're driving traffic while that ebook is free. And that gives a massive boost. And when that five day promotion falls off, yeah, your position's gonna drop in the store, but sure. it doesn't drop nearly as much. And you've still got some, some good momentum in, in the store. And then it kind of becomes a long term book marketing game, which we could talk about. But that, that's kind of our short term launch. Yeah, I mean, I would love, I would love to go into more of the long term as well, because obviously that's that's a boost to start with with the first few days. But if you want to make it something special and do even more with it, there has to be more of a long term strategy. What are some of those things that you can do then in the long term to make a book either be su successful? I was in air quotes because that can be a lot of different things, but to help a book, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, Justin, as you can imagine, podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We love podcasting. And I know um, you were in touch with our director of PR and author marketing, Sheena. We have a person on our team and her job is to help authors connect with podcasters who are perfect for their platform, right? We want to match um, an author's book topic, an author's audience with a podcaster's audience so that they're kind of a perfect fit match. And um, that helps you, you know, just like we're doing right now, like I'm getting in front of your audience um, and I'm contributing hopefully valuable content to your audience. And so we work well together. So authors and podcasters uh, are a great match. Uh, highly recommend doing podcasting on a regular basis with our authors who want it. Um, we are available to set them up with like a podcast tour. So we'll do, you know, six podcasts in a relatively short time frame, And that helps to get the word out for sure. Do you want? Do you want another one? That oh, is, I want more. This is my okay. favorite. <laughs> this one, okay, this was very new, very experimental. I definitely have my uh, one of one of my personality traits is that I'm an absent-minded professor. <laughs> so I will like go into the basement figuratively and uh, experiment <laughs> with something new for for a while and and really try to get it to work. Um, I love the idea of quizzes to sell books. Um, and uh, one of the folks that I work pretty closely with, he's one of my uh, one of my mentors and has been for a couple of years now, Ryan Levesque. Uh, he does the Ask Method. Ask, His first yep. book was Ask. His second book was Choose. Um, and so I, I'm watching him closely and learning from him. But uh, he has really shown us in, in our little mentoring group the power of quizzes. And if you can 
get your, because the challenge is, well, how do you, how do you get someone's attention online and have them interested in your book? Yeah, you can do free plus shipping. You can throw up a Facebook ad that's like, get my book for free. But we've all seen like the kind of buyer that that attracts and the skepticism and why is this free and why is shipping and handling $7.95? And it just, (laughs) it has a lot of um, question marks around, you know, this free plus shipping offer on Facebook. And so an interesting way to get someone's attention in the topic is to say, hey, take this free quiz on this topic that you're already interested in. If they click it, they're interested. They go through a series of questions. You learn more about this person and you're able to give them a customized um, you know, response to say, hey, if from, from the way that you answered these questions, it seems like you're this kind of person. And here's some helpful information about you know, the kind of person that it seems like you are. And if you want to know more, Here's my offer. Here's a book, and uh, some you know we're we're experimenting with yes free plus shipping. We're experimenting with a pay five dollars and I'll send you the book for free. Uh, some of those sorts of things, and then once they buy your book from your quiz, you have their customer information. Yep. So when they buy off Amazon, you don't have anything. <laughs> but if they <laughs> if you find them on Facebook or I mean. Even you could you could have a quiz on Google or you could have a quiz on Pinterest. I don't know. You can have the you can have it going anywhere. Um, but you know if you find them in, in in that you know in that online marketing space, take them through the quiz. Yes, you get their email address, and then if they choose to buy your book, um, you get all of their customer information. They're now a paying customer in your world, and they're on your email list. You're going to be able to to offer them you know different products and services from the back end. And honestly, the back end is where you're going to make money as an author. So yes, the book is nice. It helps you to get in front of people, to uh, cultivate a readership, to make maybe a little bit of money off the book. But as an author, your money is always going to come from the back end, from those products and services. And if you can capture their email address and their customer information, you're going to be able to grow your your author business much, much faster. Yeah. And I appreciate going into detail with those because I always geek out on marketing strategies. And I, I do see a lot, even in the online marketing kind of world, a lot of quizzes are being used, um, whether it be like a Ramit Sethi with his different quizzes mm-hmm. on like, what's your earning potential? Or there's another one, I think with Pat Flynn, has another one about something i think on quizzes on his site but i can see that i can see that working because it's it is a, a curious thing and if it's it's going to hit on the topic that is of your target audience and so you'll know if they are the right person or not based on the quiz and you had mentioned a few of the benefits i, I definitely want to talk about like what are kind of like the major benefits and go a little bit deeper into that with writing a book that come from writing a book yeah well i feel like what most people come to me and they say they want is um you know credibility authority, you know, they want to maybe be more visible in their industry, maybe as a speaker or, uh, you know, just like as a thought leader, that kind of thing. So there is still quite a lot of, um, you know, get to be, you are perceived as someone who has some amount of wisdom or experience or expertise or knowledge when you put out a book, particularly in the nonfiction world, I think is kind of where we're talking. We could talk fiction if you want, but I feel like we're probably sitting in the nonfiction world right now. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but you know, what I see as the benefit is the book is what you can build a business off of because a book is that smaller priced first product where you can really, um, identify who is a potential client or a potential customer because uh, they're going to be interested in the title and the topic and the description of your book, right? And if they actually buy your book, you can give them a ton of value right then and there. There's lots of, you know, feelings of reciprocity. Oh, this was such a great book. They might spread it. You know, there might be some some organic, you know, referrals there. Um, but that person you have just identified as potentially a great customer, you know, for, you know, maybe have, has even more lifetime value. So they might buy the book for $5, but you've just identified that that person might, you know, be a good fit for one of your higher priced products and services. So I see a book as a great way to really build the the back end of your business. It's like, well, you could sell a thousand dollar course and that could be the first thing you sell to people, or you could sell a $5 <laughs> book. You can, you know, the cost to, to, 
to get to a, a acquire that customer is going to be a lot lower <laughs> and then you can get them up into the higher priced and higher value um, products and services and really help them achieve the transformation, right? Because the book, yes, promises a transformation, but if you can bring them up that ladder into your higher priced, higher value products and services, uh, then you help them achieve true transformation. So in my mind, that's the benefit. It's a, it's a sustainable, profitable business and you're helping people truly transform in a way that they they want to. Yeah, and I've, I've definitely seen even in my own behaviors, just looking at books I purchased and then I have bought different courses or gone to events from people who I've read their book. <laughs> it's just that's mm-hmm. exactly, exactly what happened there. Um, and there's, it's one of those things too where I always like to look at things that have a lot of potential on the back end. So obviously it's a lot of upfront time commitment to go through this process and you know, you're talking about a year or two years, whatever it may be. But on the back end, I mean, you, you have that starting point with people. You can promote the book forever. You have, can do so much with it once you have it. So like, it seems like it's worth, the, it's worth the investment to obviously do it right, do a great job, and then you have it for years and years to come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a book is one of those things that still um, we are allowed sort of to promote in a lot of places. You can't just walk up and promote your online course just anywhere, right? People are like, <laughs> oh, let's not do that. But if you're invited to speak at an event, you know, and you ask the event coordinator, can I sell books in the back of the room? They're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Amazon bookstore lets you sell your book in, in their bookstore. You know, yeah. if you're on a podcast, you can probably talk about your book, just like we've already done here. Like there are lots of places where like, it's, it's still like very encouraged for us to talk about our books as authors. And so it's one of those like pretty helpful marketing tools <laughs> oh, <laughs> because yeah. it, you can, you can put it in so many different scenarios and then it, it leads people straight into your, into your business. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything else you'd mention in terms of, in terms of writing a book that we kind of haven't, haven't already talked about? We've talked about some mistakes and a lot of different things, but I was just curious if there's anything else in terms of writing a book that you want to mention. Yeah. Um, if so, anyone who's considering self-publishing, um, a couple of things that I would very much, uh, encourage you to spend some money on would be editing. Uh, Get a really high quality editor. A lot of people don't think about developmental editing, but a developmental editor is someone who looks at the structure of your book. Is it a good structure? (laughs) Is it compelling? Is it, is it a great book basically? And so a lot of people don't, don't know that a developmental editor exists, but that's a particular type of editor that will help you with the overall quality of of your book and the chapters and does it does it um help the reader transform in some way um and then the second thing i would invest in is cover design i feel like that should be really obvious and yet (laughs) i get so many people who email me and say morgan why does my book not sell here's my amazon link and i click over to amazon and i'm just like Uh. oh if if we could just redesign your cover and your title and i'm sure your keywords and categories we could pop that baby up into the amazon store so your cover is still very important please put some money into your cover Yes, <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> advice, especially with all the competition that is out there. And if someone doesn't look that long at a book or a title or a headline, you don't have much time to catch their attention, especially if it is the Amazon world. So that that's very important, it would seem like. Yep, yep. Oh, and then the last thing is um, in order to distinguish yourself in the self-publishing world, I would suggest publishing as an ebook and a paperback and a hardback. It is not that much more difficult and it makes you look much, much more credible. So paperback and ebook go on Amazon KDP and hardback you can put up on Ingram Spark and Ingram Spark directly hooks into Amazon. So it, it feeds straight into your sales page and they handle all the printing and fulfilling. So it's super easy to do all That's three. awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. And then just kind of with your, with your business, you know, what are everything you've learned from running this company you know, what are some of the first things people should should think about in terms of starting their own business before they actually start? Because you took the leap and did it. But what are some things you think that people should think about before launching a business? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I I would recommend for people who are really considering starting a business is whether you want to be in it for the long term. Um, you know, I started freelance editing in 2007 and then I didn't have my first website till 2013, but still, you know, six years in kind of the online marketing world, even in that short span of time, I have seen people come and go, <laughs> you know, like they're just like, Oh, I'll do it for 18 months. Oh, I didn't make a million dollars. I'm going to quit. <laughs> so I do think that, um, if you're going to start an online business there, it's, 
it's in your benefit to be willing to kind of stick it out for the first few years while you're really figuring out what you're doing. Um, it's a phase we all go through. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not doing it wrong. <laughs> it's just part of the learning and growing process. Um, so yeah, long-term commitment. And then I would say the other is uh, being really focused on not what your business product or services, but who you're serving. And we mentioned Ryan Levesque earlier, his book Choose is amazing. I wish I had had that book when I was starting my business. Um, But that is the main premise of his book is everyone's focused on what type of business to start. And really, if we would just focus on who our business is serving, uh, we will be able to figure out what products and services sort of, you know, marry our our expertise with with what they need and it will make life so much easier. So those would be my kind of initial thoughts. Yeah, I think those are amazing and definitely always need to look at who the actual audience is. And that's where people go wrong, whether it be startups or coaching or, or anything really. It's like, who is the actual audience? If you can start with that, you can solve their problems, you can make things for them, it'll be much better off for you. And then as you've kind of gone through your career as well. And what have been some of those valuable resources? You mentioned Ryan's books. Has there been anything else in particular that's been helpful for you as you've built this company? Yeah. So I feel like I've had uh, two two things that I invest in regularly. One is professional development. That is the kind of coaching and masterminds and courses and uh, professional events that, that we've been talking about. Most recently for me, uh, certainly being part of Ryan Levesque's mentoring has been with his Ask Method uh, has been phenomenal. Uh, it's been one of the most valuable things I think I've ever invested in, in my business. Um, and then at the same time, I'm also doing personal growth, you know, just like who am I as a person? How do I react in the world? You know, what do I think about? What do I feel on a day-to-day basis? Um, what are my visions? How do I want to be in life? It's equally important. And so I've had some, you know, mentors and, and coaching in, in that realm as well. Uh, Susan Ferraro is a woman who has really transformed my life and, and how I experience the world. Um, and some of those just like, you know, truly um, quasi spiritual, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorts of sorts of books have been um, really transformational. So uh, finding a mentor who, uh, who speaks to you, who resonates with you and really latching on and, and learning for two, three, four years from that person, I think has, has been, has given me um, exponential growth for sure. That's awesome. And and lastly, where can people go to to learn more about you and all you're doing and the work you're doing? Yeah, uh, paperravenbooks.com is we have all sorts of resources whether you are writing or publishing or marketing. We speak to all three parts of that of that journey. Uh, we have a blueprint there. It's called the Publishing Success Blueprint. It walks through all of those major phases and a lot of these sort of, you know, practical uh, things that we've been talking about, um, you know, are listed right there on that blueprint. So things like the five-day promotion during launch, stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm super, you know, grounded, practical. I want the how-to stuff as well. <laughs> so I just put all that in. So you can find that at paperravenbooks.com. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link all that on the, in the show notes, which will be justgrowgrind.com slash podcast so people can check everything out. Morgan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you, Justin. This has been really fun. I'm super excited to to be here with everyone. <laughs> and yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad we could have, we could talk. And also knowing that you're a listener as well is, is great to know. Exactly. And I always love talking to listeners. And so I do appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.